Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. It's Thursday evening, so you know what that means. It's time for some spooky stories. And let me tell you, you've come to the right place. But before we get into tonight's show, I want to remind everyone that the Season 4 finale is fast approaching. And like the Season 2 finale, I'd like to revisit the Hometown Legends segment. So if your hometown, county, or even state has an interesting hometown legend, think Goatman Bridge, or Resurrection Mary, or the Aurora, Texas UFO crash, or maybe even something much more local and more obscure. Either way, please consider calling that story in. As an added bonus, I'm working on bringing in a special guest host, an expert in the field of legends. So submit those stories, and I will take care of the rest. All right, it's showtime. The world is full of monsters. Some are known and documented, while others tend to exist on the fringe, just out of sight, lingering in the cold darkness. These creatures come in all shapes and sizes, From the giant squid and the reptilian beasts of the ocean depths to the massive, man-like hairy creatures said to inhabit the forests of our land. Yet other monsters take on unimaginable forms. And some, worse yet, familiar ones. Our first caller of the night seems to have experienced one of these familiar monsters. This is Steve's call from Canada. Hey Derek, how are you doing? My name is Steve. I, uh, I'm telling you a story about uh, something that happened to me in a place uh, called Tofino in uh, British Columbia, Canada. Um, this was in 1994, I believe. I was in my early 20s. I was out there. It was an experimental time of my life. I'll tell you that straight up. So things were happening. I don't believe that 
on this particular day I had been into anything crazy. But uh, so I had been out at a campground about 15 kilometers from town. Uh, this is a remote sort of um, fishing town. Uh, so there's not a lot of traffic. I was a young, young person at that time. Uh, I was very transient and everybody in that town kind of um, lives a fairly transient lifestyle. I didn't have a car, so I, my main mode of transport in those days and age in this area was hitchhiking back and forth to town. And uh, so it was common for people to hitchhike even at night in this uh, area. So what I had done on this particular night was I'd gone to sort of a, a beach get-together with some friends, and then I decided around 8 or 9 o'clock to go home. I uh, headed out to the highway. I'm standing out on the highway at 9 o'clock. It's, uh, it's dark. There's not lights on the highway at, in this area. It's, it's the middle of nowhere. Um, you're 15 kilometers out of town. But it was busy enough that you'd see a car probably every three or four minutes, maybe five minutes. So it was uh, pretty consistent, fairly safe. And on this particular night, I was kind of standing on the highway. I was waiting around. And, uh, and uh, kind of out of nowhere... Uh, a small man came out of the out of the forest, and uh, you know, I know this sounds strange. I'm I, I'm a skeptic myself. He was about uh, maybe four feet tall ish, four and a half feet tall, with a uh, white beard, white hair, and uh, strange clothing. Clothing that I would probably set around, I don't know, maybe 18th century European style clothing. It was bizarre. Uh, he comes up to me, and he starts speaking in uh, very strange, like language, something I didn't really understand. Uh, I tried to figure out what he was communicating. Uh, he ended up getting frustrated with me, and uh, and then he just buggered off into the woods. Um, I didn't really think much of it. I kept it to myself. And uh, maybe a week later, I was at work, and uh, and I worked with uh, with. I, I was a cook at the time. I, I worked with another guy uh, who's a prep cook. And uh, this guy was a very formal guy. Um, he was His name was Al. He was uh, the type of guy who never never told anything that wasn't straight. He was a, he almost like an army guy in some ways. He, had, he was very formal, very uh, very straightforward dude. And, uh, and so he shows up one day to work and he's livid. He is a mad guy. And he, he had, uh, um, he kind of lived in the middle of nowhere. The thing about this location, it's kind of like, sort of like Oregon, I guess, in the States. There's a lot of people that kind of live in the forest. There's a lot of hippies and a lot of sort of, sort of people that live off the grid out there. And, uh, and this guy, Al, although he was working full-time in a restaurant, kind of lived in, uh, in a, what, what you'd refer to as a squatter's cabin. So like a cabin that was kind of left there by, by, uh, U.S., um, like draft dodgers back in the 70s or 80s so there was there's sort of residual cabins in this neighborhood so al shows up at work and uh al's mad and uh and he starts talking about about this situation and he's he's like man this guy was in my house i'm like what do you mean? like what do you mean this guy was in your house and he goes he goes man there was a guy that was like about four four-ish feet tall and he was stealing my shit from my house and i started yelling at him i'm trying to get him out of there and uh and he, he was speaking nonsense. And finally I chased him out of there and I don't know what the hell was going on. And, uh, and I look at Al and I'm thinking, man, like I, I said, Al, like I just, he described the guy to me wearing the same clothes, same thing. 
And, uh, you know, I know it sounds ridiculous and, uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And, uh, but to me, uh, he, he fit the description of, of some type of folklorish character. And it was just one of the most bizarre situations I've ever experienced. But, uh, I thought I'd share that with you. And, uh, love your show. Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Thank you, Steve. This is a strange one. I think it's safe to rule out a hallucination, or mistaken identity in this case, for two reasons. Firstly, the strange man spent a considerable amount of time face-to-face with Steve. He even spoke. And secondly, and probably more importantly, another independent witness also reported seeing the same old man. So, with that explanation out of the way, we must explore the idea that this little man was simply a small person from another country, and the communication breakdown only led to further confusion. In my opinion, this is not impossible. Some of you may be familiar with a television program by the name of The Legend of Mick Dodge. The documentary-style show follows a woodsman by the name of, you guessed it, Mick Dodge, through the forest of the Pacific Northwest. Dodge is said to live his life off-grid, in hollowed trees and lean-tos and apparently receives all he needs from the forest. While I have my doubts regarding the validity of the show's claims, I can't help but see the resemblance between Steve's mystery man and Dodge himself. Now, I'm not proposing that Mick Dodge himself ran into our caller, but perhaps it's simply another strange little man from a far-off land that makes his living in the forest. Stranger things have happened. And that leaves me with my final, albeit weirdest, theory. Gnomes. I realize how crazy that thought might be, and I'm not completely convinced of it myself, but there have been several reports over the years of an odd-looking person, typically very short in stature, wearing hand-fashioned clothing in the forests of the West Coast. In fact, the following story comes to mind when listening to Steve's report. foothills of California's Sierra Mountains. A little bit of evil is lurking. Something tiny, but terrifying. Monsters aren't necessarily big. Sometimes something sinister comes in a small package. Gnomes have been reported all over the world. There are different names for them, trolls, uh, goblins, elves, but they're all basically the same type of creature. They're small children-sized creatures, and sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're bad. Gnomes, if they're angered, will take it out on people. Anything from something mischievous, like tying uh, animals' tails together, to as far as eating household pets. The little ones, when they're good, are supposed to be guardians and they bring you good luck, but the bad ones are supposed to be an element of something very bad. It was probably one of the bad ones that Tammy Thomas encountered on a night in 1999 as she arrived home. Stand right here while I get the My grandson and I had come home from grocery shopping after taking her grandson out of the car and unloading the groceries, Gavin? Tammy lost track of the boy. Gavin? Gavin? What are you looking at? Where? 
back when I turn around there was a creature standing there looking at us I don't know how to describe it other than it looked like an evil gardener all I see is these big glowing red eyes I just froze because I didn't know what was going on we were probably about 25 30 feet away I was scared to death more scared than I'd ever been I know it was evil by the way it laughed at us it cackled I grabbed my grandson and ran into the house as fast as we could go That clip, of course, was taken from the television show Monsters and Mysteries in America. A link to that clip can be found in the show notes for this episode. Now, do I think Steve encountered a gnome? No, probably not. But I do think his encounter is rather strange. I will certainly revisit this call later on if any new developments become available. Thanks again, Steve. Our next call comes to us from a new listener in the state of North Carolina. Please welcome Amber to the show. Hey Derek, my name is Amber and I live in North Carolina and I recently stumbled across your podcast and for the last two weeks I've binge listened to it all day at work and I'm finally called up and I absolutely love it. Um, I love hearing everyone's different stories. Um, So I thought I'd call in and share a couple of mine. Well, when I was around seven, my mom and I would stay on the weekends with her boyfriend in Thomasville, North Carolina. After she went to an auction for this this man, he had passed away and his family was auctioning off his belongings. She actually bought a cedar chest to, you know, store some of her knickknacks in. Well, after she did that, that's kind of when I started experiencing these these different things um for instance one night i was asleep and she heard me scream and she came in the room and she's like you know what's going on are you okay and all the covers were at the end of the bed on the floor and she said amber what is going on you know and i said mom there is this old man in here and he wants to play with me, but I'm trying to sleep and he won't stop throwing the, jerking the covers off of me. And she's like, Amber, you're just having a nightmare. Go back to sleep. You know, mind you, I was seven years old. So at the time I was extremely confused. I did not know what was going on. And it happened several times as well as one day I was there and I was using the restroom and she again heard me scream but it wasn't like a scary scream like I was scared it was kind of like a playful scream and she ran into the bathroom and she's like Amber what is going on you know and I said mom this old man is back again and he keeps jerking the shower curtain open playing peekaboo with me and I just want to use the bathroom so it happened several times. It, it never really stopped when I was a child. And so since we didn't know anything about this man and really didn't do any research, we just named him Joe. And when my mom and her boyfriend broke up, we moved back, you know, to Denton, North Carolina, where my family actually owns quite a bit of land. And it's 
completely back in the woods, you know, nothing around. It's really peaceful. And I started, started experiencing this stuff there also. And of course she took this cedar chest with her. Um, he would do everything as far as like turning my baby dolls on and these baby dolls, you had to actually, you know, push them for them to laugh, which it's really creepy, but he never was malicious with anything. He was always very playful with me. And it even got to the point one night to where I had uh, a girlfriend of mine staying over and we were laying in my floor in my bedroom, you know, being 12 year olds, listening to the Backstreet Boys and looking at Seventeen Magazine and just doing what we were doing. And all of a sudden, all my dolls started going off. And at the time, I didn't play with these dolls. They were on the top shelf in my closet. So it didn't freak me out, but my friend never came back to my house after that when I explained, oh, it's just Joe. He's just, you know, trying to play around with us. Um, he would throw my perfume bottles across the bathroom when I wasn't there. He did it to my mom several times. And my mom actually has a little Dotson, Harry. And he would stand at the end of the hallway and look down my, towards my bathroom and start just going crazy barking. And usually when he did that, we knew something was coming. And he did. He would throw the perfume bottles. It would fly across the bathroom. He actually broke one of my perfume bottles. And these were up against the wall. There was no way of any wind knocking them down. I mean, they were full perfume bottles. So there had to be some sort of force behind that. Um, also, when I was about nine, ten, ten years old, my mom had my sister. And when she was a baby, my mom, several times, and I heard it as well, we would hear, it sounded like someone, like a man singing to my sister at night. Um, and granted, you know, with baby monitors, there's always some type of interference that can happen. We understand that. But this was, this was not really, I couldn't really <laughs> explain. I mean, he was singing. There was someone singing. And so that happened, and I do remember one time I was helping my mom give my baby sister a bath, and I could see something, you know, in my peripherals, and I turned and looked, and it definitely was not Joe. Um, Joe was an older man, you know, he had a flannel shirt on, overalls, you know, a country little hat. I mean, he was just a sweetheart, and... This guy kind of had like a black trench coat on. He's something that, like a, like men in black, what you know, or like something from the Matrix, like Keanu Reeves from the Matrix. It was really weird. And I actually never seen him again, but just that one time. And also there was a time where my, I have two children and we actually lived with my mom for a little bit. And my kids were in my sister's old bedroom and I was in the living room watching TV. And my daughter, who was about two at the time, almost three, started screaming. She ran out in the living room. She says, there's someone in the room. There's someone in the room and he keeps scaring me. And it happened several times and it got to the point to where it didn't, it didn't seem like something 
Joe would do. He never, ever scared me as a child. He was always very playful, like I said earlier. And so I just kind of went in there. I was like, look, whoever's in here, whatever this is, you just leave my kids alone. And it stopped. Um, now, granted, she could have been, you know, having a nightmare. I don't, I don't really know as far as that goes. So, yeah, I just thought I'd share those with you. And hopefully you can use this for your podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Amber, for sharing. Okay, full disclosure here. Amber's submission was slightly too long for the show, so I edited out a portion of her encounter. But if you'd like to hear her story in full, you can find it in the show notes for tonight's episode. Sorry, Amber, but I feel I included the best parts of your story. Okay, as for the story itself, it seemed that Amber blames the strange activity she encountered when she was young on the cedar chest that her mother had purchased. This immediately made me think of something I remember watching as a kid. Many of you, I'm sure, remember the series Unsolved Mysteries, a show that fascinated and terrified kids throughout the 80s and 90s. Well, I particularly remember a segment of the show, which I believe was part of one of the Halloween specials, that detailed a haunting of a family in Wisconsin. The story is relevant because of a particular piece of furniture that seemed to invoke the ghost. The following clip was incredibly hard to find, but I think it's too good not to share. In early February of 1987, Alan and Debbie Tallman brought home a bunk bed they had purchased at a second-hand furniture shop. They assembled the bed and stored it in their basement. When the bunk bed was moved upstairs, it marked the beginning of nine months of horror for the Tallmans. From the moment the bed was first slept in, the house appeared to be haunted by spirits that terrorized first the children, then the entire family. You're getting so big for daddy. I was afraid for my life. I also was very afraid for my family. I had visions of coming home from work and actually seeing my family destroyed. Um, brutally murdered or or just laying their dead. The house where the Tallmans lived had no known history of hauntings, and the Tallmans had never in their lives given ghosts a second thought. The irregular churchgoers. Debbie is a housewife and mother, and Alan is shift supervisor in a manufacturing plant. They are credible and responsible citizens, but their paranormal experiences have left them deeply scarred. They ask that actors portray them in this story and that their children's real names not be used. The Tallmans feel they were in a battle with forces they do not understand. A battle they were destined to lose. Oregon, Wisconsin is a small farming town of 3,800 people. It is a safe and prosperous place, hardly the spot one would expect to have a terrifying encounter with the supernatural. All the scenes that we recreated were filmed in this house, the very place where the Tallmans had their uncanny meeting with the world of spirits. The Tallman family moved into the house on April 13th, 1986. Well, yeah, it was our dream house because, you know, it was something that we figured we were going to be there for a long time, you know, and it was, it was a dream house. Are you feeling any better? Within weeks, the Tallman children, who had rarely been sick, began to fall ill. After we moved into the house, it seemed like our children were sick all the time. We had them into the doctor's office. Sometimes I would have all three of them in. 
in a week. In late May of 1987, Debbie and Alan moved the bunk bed they had bought upstairs. That night, the Tallman's son, Danny, was sleeping in the room next door to the bunk bed. Okay? Good. Have a good night. The bedrooms had been rearranged, and Danny had inherited his parents' old clock radio. On this night, the radio seemed to take on a life of its own. My son, he uh, came running out of the living room. And he says, but mom and dad, he says, I seen it. It, it, the dial moved. He said, the indicator went from one side to the radio to the other. And we kind of looked at each other and says, well, if you're going to have a fit with the radio and cause this kind of ruckus, we'll just take the radio out, you know, because that stuff just does not happen. A few weeks later, Alan Tallman himself had an experience he could not explain. He was busy painting the walls in his basement, but decided to take a break. My wife called me up for dinner, so I just laid the brush and I was going to return after I ate my lunch. And after um, dinner time was over, I went downstairs, down cellar. And the brush was in the paint pail uh, with the bristles sticking up right in the paint pail. I figured there was something strange why this happened, uh, why the brush got into the paint pail, but uh, I, at, still I, I wouldn't accept that my house was haunted. The Tormans' two-year-old daughter was sleeping in the bunk bed. She began to see things in her room. At one time my daughter had talked about um, a witch behind her door um, and the fire, a lot of it was fire and we had never mentioned it to our son at all. And then about, I'd say probably about a month later, he had said, Mom, I saw an old lady standing by my door. And um, he said that she glowed like fire. At this point, I began to think that our house was probably haunted. Unfortunately, the clip ends there, but if memory serves correct, the family was forced to flee the home when the spirit somehow made it appear that the house was on fire. But when officials arrived, there were no signs of a blaze. I also found it interesting that the children described the apparition as glowing like fire, which, if you remember, has been claimed on this show more than once over the past few seasons. This segment terrified me as a child and fascinates me now as an adult. I realize it doesn't explain Amber's experience, but I couldn't help but notice the correlation. Thank you again, Amber, for the submission. Our next call of the evening is a written submission by listener Tom in Canada. Hello. I live in the southwest section of Toronto, Canada, in a quiet residential neighborhood, and I have to tell you about an experience that I had one Sunday night in mid-May of 2012. It was about 9 p.m. on a Sunday night, and I stepped outside onto the front veranda for a cigarette. It was a clear, moonless night, with no precipitation. The streets were well lit. I live in a corner house on a T intersection on a short two-block-long street. About 20 feet from where I was standing is a sidewalk running north and south. 
This is when I noticed blue flashes of light coming south. Thinking it was a snow removal vehicle up the street, I looked north. There were no such vehicles. In Canada, all snow removal vehicles have blue warning roof lights. Red are police and fire, and amber are tow trucks. With it being mid-May, and we hadn't had any snowfall in months, I was perplexed. Further observations on my part revealed that the lights were not at regular intervals, but spaced randomly with no pattern, like a 2, 2, 3, 1, 3, 2, etc. I also noticed that the lights were not seen in 360 degrees, as rotating warning lights would emit. Closer inspection of the lights revealed the lights not to be lights at all, but bright blue neon figures running south in a line. All of the figures vanished when they got to the middle of the T-intersection. I estimated that the figures were running at a pace of 50 kilometers or 30 miles an hour. I could make out heads, arms, and legs on the figures, but no facial features, and they all looked to be identical. They were also sexless. After one minute of being mesmerized watching them, my wife joined me on the veranda. She asked me what I was looking at. I said, the blue men running. My wife said, where? I said, running down the sidewalk, don't you see them? She looked at me like I was insane. I should note that I was 54 years old at the time, and I am an ex-police constable. I am an occasional social drinker, and I never partake in any recreational drugs. I had not been drinking that night, and I always tried to look for logical explanations in everything. At the time, I did think of standing in front of them, but was totally taken with what I was seeing. I was awestruck. Then I said, look, there goes another one, and another one. There goes two more, and another three. She said, where? I don't see anything. My wife is now looking scared. After watching them for a good five to seven minutes, the blue men stopped and I didn't see them anymore. Not knowing what I saw, I went back into the house, stunned. I did some research on the internet of what I saw but found nothing relatable. I did tell a couple paranormal researcher friends of mine my experience, but they never heard of such a thing before. They hinted that perhaps I had a glimpse of the other side. I have been looking every night since then for the blue figures, but they have not reappeared since. Thank you, Tom, in Toronto, Canada. Thank you, Tom, for sending in that story. I thought Tom's story was relevant because it falls in line somewhat with the Unsolved Mysteries clip we just listened to. The report of a... The reported glowing of the apparitions witnessed seems odd, to say the least. I wonder if there's a rational and logical explanation to all this. Is it possible that someone simply had a glowing suit on, not too dissimilar to the suits worn in the film Tron? At a distance, they would appear to be more of a blur, and if they had an on-off switch, perhaps simply turning them off would make the person seem to disappear. However, Tom describes the figures running at roughly 30 miles an hour, so that could possibly rule that out. In addition, I was not there with Tom to witness this event, so it's possible that my theory is easily debunked, which leaves us with more questions than answers. Thanks again, Tom, for taking the time to submit. Now, before we get into our next call, I wanted to make a quick little announcement. I just put the finishing touches on an order of Monsters Among Us koozies. So if you're looking for a way to support the show and get a cool little koozie for your beer in the process, please consider picking one up. Simply head over to the website and click on the shop tab. Okay, back to the show. Our next call takes us to the skies over Michigan. Hi, this is a 
kind of a weird thing that happened to me back in uh, 1975 in uh, Michigan and right outside of Detroit. And I had got to that time, I was about 14, and I had gone over to a buddy's house to wait for him. And when I got there, he wasn't there, probably late afternoon. So I thought, well, I'll hang out. And you know, I wasn't under the influence of anything. And I was just waiting, kind of bored, looking at the sky as the twilight came. And as the sun started to go down, I saw these little, I thought there were stars because I saw a couple other stars starting to come out. So I was watching them, waiting, kind of bored, thinking, should I leave? I noticed that one of the stars looked like it was moving to the left. I'm like, that's strange because the other ones aren't moving. And then there was a, another one or two that were fainter, but they were moving like they'd moved to the left and then they moved to the right, which I'm like, that's impossible. It must be my eyes. So I kept watching and they continued to move in strange ways that an aircraft couldn't move. And I thought they were stars anyway because they were about the brightness of stars. And they would move down and then up and then back. And I'm just watching them going, what, what the hell are those? It doesn't look like a UFO like I've seen on TV or anything. It just looks like stars that are moving around. And then all of a sudden, boom, just zipped off like a shooting star, but up. And up at a diagonal. So at the time, I didn't... I'm, I'm a 14-year-old kid. I'm not going to go home and tell my friends and my parents about it because I'll think I'm nuts. So I, later on, I had told my wife, uh, I have one or two people throughout my life, but uh, I never thought anyone would believe me. So, or they think, you know, you were high or drunk or you made it up or, you, you know, you think it was this. But uh, that's what happened. So whatever that was, that was very strange. It definitely wasn't uh, a plane or stars. There's no sound at all. Um, so that was freaky. That's what happened. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Thank you, caller. It's very difficult for me to determine how much movement these lights had, but I have one theory that might help explain what the caller saw that evening. When looking at the stars with the naked eye, your eyes struggle to focus on the tiny dot of light, causing it to appear to dance around. I did my best to find the technical term for this, but opted not to use up an entire evening looking for it. Perhaps something similar to this caused our witness to think the lights were moving back and forth. Now, of course, if these lights moved a considerable distance through the sky, that pretty much kills my theory altogether. Thanks again for the submission. Next up is a call from a familiar voice. You may remember Veronica from a Season 3 call in which she told about an invisible hand that helped keep her mother safe in a car accident. Well, Veronica is back with her own strange experience. Hi, Derek. It's Veronica again. I called previously about my mother who experienced arms around her when um, she was having a car, almost car accident. I'm calling today because um, when I said that my mother has had a very, um, a very keen sense on a pull towards death, I think that I might have the same the same senses as my mother, but not towards death. I've always felt that I could be sensitive uh, when it comes to paranormal stuff, but I've just never allowed myself to experience it. I shut it down. I, I won't. It scares me. It terrifies me. I think if I ever saw a ghost and knew it was a ghost, I would probably die of shock, but it is so intriguing to me. I've seen all the shows, you name it. 
I've seen it. I listen to your podcast. I don't miss it. I just, it honestly terrifies me. Um, when I watch the shows, you know, I binge watch the shows on TV. I get to a point where I get really um, paranoid, like I might see something, and I just shut it down. I, I change the channel. I watch something different. Well, I'm calling because um, something has been happening to me over the past series of the past two years, and um, I've always been afraid to talk about it, being afraid that someone would think I'm crazy or talking about it make, might make it happen again. Um, what, I lived with my husband in a condo, and he lost his job, so we moved in with my parents. My parents lived in a house that I've lived in our whole entire life. We, we lived in it since it was built. They've, we've been the only ones who've lived in it, so I'm very comfortable in that house. I lived in the same room. I'm in the same room I was in high school, and uh, my kids happened to be in the room across the hall from me. Um, my husband and I are currently divorced. However, when he was living there with us, I do remember um, we would, you know, in the middle of the night, my kids would sleep with their door open and I would sleep my, with my door open. They would, you know, be scared. It's a new environment, although it's grandma and grandpa's, they'd just be scared. So we'd sleep with our doors open. I was sitting up in bed and all the lights were out and, um, you know, my kids have nightmares. Kids do. They'd, they'd say mommy or, you know, I'd go get them or they'd come in my room, no big deal. Well, in this one instance, I was sitting up in bed, and he was sleeping. My kids were sleeping. I didn't know it at the time, but I hear a very faint whisper, Mommy. So I get up, and you know, I get up off my bed. I open the door, expecting to see my kids there, and there's nothing there. Um, terrified the crap out of me. I just went, I decided I'm just going to go to bed. It's just, I'm very tired, and I'm going to go to bed. So I... Uh, I don't know how, but I fell asleep. Um, fast forward to after my husband left and we divorced. Um, I'm laying in that my bedroom, the same bedroom I lived in when I was younger, and uh, reading a book. It's quiet. It's whatever. And all of a sudden, I feel like a thud on my bed, like a, like somebody sat on it. So I turn around, expecting to see my kids, and again, there's nothing there. Oh, it's just my imagination. I'm not going to play into it. Whatever. Let me keep reading my book. I just will not open that door. Um, it's happened about 15 times on and off, you know, always when I'm awake, never when I'm sleeping. And um, also lately, about the past maybe six months, while I'm laying in bed, I hear, you know, I know it, I'm in between sleep and awake, or I'm, I'm wide awake. It's never while I'm sleeping, um, but I hear, again, this thinking it's my kid turning around. Um, there have been a couple times where I've been sleeping and I've heard a knock at my door and it's woken me up. So I say, come in, or I open my door and no one's there. So I'm still in the house with my parents. I'm, you know, sleep with the door closed now since my husband's gone. My kids are much older now. So I sleep with my door closed now, but... Um, it keeps happening and happening, and I have no idea if something's reaching out to me, if something's trying to get my attention. I have no idea, but it terrifies me. It terrifies me so much. So um, I'm ignoring it, and I honestly don't know what else to do, but I was curious if anybody else had anything, tried to reach out to them or call to them. 
it's quite terrifying. I, I've walked out of movies, Paranormal Activity is the first one. I walked out of it as soon as they brought out a Ouija board. I don't, I don't mess with that stuff. I, I respect it, and I stay away from it. So it literally terrifies me. I've gone as far as to actually, when I see my grandmother, we have this ongoing joke where I ask her to please not haunt me when she, when she passes. So the thought of having to open myself up or anything like that terrifies me. Will it go away? I don't know. But I wish it would stop. And I just, I don't want to open that door. So just curious to see if anyone else is terrified of it like me. And if, um, if I should ignore it or if anybody else has had those experiences. That's it. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Veronica. There are many that claim to have quote-unquote abilities. The ability to talk to the dead, the ability to see into the future, or sometimes the past, and the ability to read minds. Although I'm reluctant to discuss it, I too have had dozens of experiences that I feel would fall under the category of extraordinary. But like any natural ability, I feel that the more you use it, the better the performance. That is, if you believe any of this at all. So in short, you get out of it what you put into it. So in Veronica's case, if she's reluctant to use it out of fear, I can't help but feel that it will simply wither away and no longer be something she has to deal with. But, even as an experiencer, I have my doubts about the existence of these abilities at all. Sometimes, a simple coincidence can be a powerful thing. One more observation I'd like to add to Veronica's story is that the voice saying mommy as she falls asleep sounds like exploding head syndrome to me. I know I've touched on that sleeping disorder quite often, but for those that missed it, exploding head is a disorder that causes the sufferer to hear loud noises just as they are slipping off to sleep. Sometimes crashes or bangs, and sometimes disembodied voices. So thank you again, Veronica, for sharing your stories. Our next submission was written in by an anonymous listener from the state of California. This story happened about two years ago. I have seen strange things in the sky before, but never as closely or as clearly as this, and I have never had the feeling of fear that this one provoked in me. It was early August of 2015. My husband, my brother, and I spontaneously decided to go camping for a night. We were camping in a northern California lake just outside of Redding, California. After a beautiful clear night of stargazing, sitting around a campfire and having a couple of beers, we decided to settle in for the evening. At about 2 a.m. I woke because I had to commune with the trees. After a couple of beers, that sometimes happens. So I left the tent to go about my business. In the meantime, I had woken my husband who decided that he also had to go outside. I had already been outside for a bit because when I left the tent, something in the sky had caught my eye. Coming just over the top of the mountain was a bright white light, coming very slowly across the sky, headed toward the middle of the lake. I went about my business, and when I was done, my husband came out of the tent to go do his business. I was just staring at this light as it made its way toward the middle of the lake. It was shaped like a teardrop lying on its side, bright white with a bluish edge around it. When it got to the middle of the lake, it just stopped, hanging in the sky. I was going through the list in my head. It's not a drone or helicopter because there was no noise, and it was only about a fourth of a mile away, and it was dead quiet at 2 a.m. It was not Venus. It was moving and not an airplane. It was moving too slowly. I was stumped. My husband had finished his business, and I said, 
What is that thing in the sky? It's not making any noise. He looked up and said it's a star and crawled back into the tent. Just as he crawled into the tent, as I was staring at this thing, I had this terrifying thought go through my head. They know I'm looking at them. I don't know where that came from, but I quickly crawled back into the tent and into my sleeping bag and promptly fell back to sleep. My brother was sleeping outside that night. He also saw it, but only going across the sky over our campsite at some point in the evening. He wasn't sure of it at the time. So I was not the only witness to this bright light in the sky that night. Thank you for that submission. As it is with most UFO reports, it is very difficult for me to determine what was seen based solely on description. What the witness experienced and what I imagine are often two completely different things. Which leads me to the only logical guess I can come up with. I realize the witness ruled out a helicopter, but perhaps what was seen was simply that, a helicopter searchlight. If the chopper was far enough away, no noise would be heard, and having lived in the center of Los Angeles for 10 years, I know how powerful a helicopter searchlight can actually be. But, per usual, I was not there, and I did not see what our witness did, so it's entirely possible that my theory holds no water whatsoever. Either way, thank you, listener, for your submission, and I'm sorry I could not be of more help. Okay, I have one more story to share with you guys, but before we go down that darkened road, I have a few things I need to tell you. Ever since I committed to the hour-long format, I've been burning through submitted stories at an incredible rate. So, to keep the show going, I need fresh calls daily. If you have a story to share, simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or you can visit the Report Your Sightings tab on the website. I truly look forward to hearing everyone's encounter stories. I passed the 200 mark on the iTunes Reviews page. Thank you to each and every one of you that has taken the time to write a review. But let's not stop there. All the big shows have thousands of reviews, and I want to be one of those shows. So if you have a phone and a few free minutes, please visit the podcast app, search for Monsters Among Us, click the icon, click the Reviews tab, and finally click the Leave a Review tab. A simple five stars and a few words about why you'd like to show will go a long way to bring in new listeners and new stories. So do your part and review today, please. I've tried to bring it up less and less as to not annoy my regular listeners, but the holidays are coming up and the perfect gift for that weird loved one is right under your nose. Get them a subscription to Cryptic Crate. Gift subscriptions are available, and if you sign up before the 15th, they will receive their first box only a week after Christmas. I should also add that sometimes I have leftover boxes. Those can be purchased at www.cryptidcrate.etsy.com, and usually they arrive three to four days after purchase. So do me and your friends and family a favor and get them a Cryptid Crate today. And speaking of buying things... I just got off the horn with Julian at Cryptid Zoo. For those that don't know, Cryptid Zoo is an awesome clothing line that features all the greats in cryptozoology. And if you act now, you can get a sweet 25% off by using the coupon code MONSTERS at checkout. Simply visit cryptidzoo.com. I say all that to say this. Julian is putting the finishing touches on the animation for the infamous Mirrored Men shirt as we speak. 
I will be posting a how-to video on the show's social media accounts in the next few days, showing you how to animate your very own shirt. So keep your eye out for that. I should also add that there are still plenty of shirts available in the shop, so head on over to the shop tab and get yours today. Alright, as promised, one final call. This story comes to us from Alan in Arizona. Let me tell you, this is a strange one. Hi, Derek. This is Alan in Mesa, Arizona. I was recently listening to episode three of season four and Caitlin's account of the uh, Skinwalker. Uh, I've had a similar experience living in Arizona all my life. This event happened in approximately 1990 on the San Carlos Indian Reservation in southeast Arizona. Uh, I had just, it was late at night, I had been to the car races in Globe and was returning home, driving down uh, US 70 to Safford when it was about 2 o'clock in the morning and I was fairly tired I was only 17 years old and I was driving along and it started to slow down because I was getting sleepy I just passed through the town of Peridot I don't know. I had probably slowed down to about 40, 45 miles an hour. As I was driving along, I heard a tapping on the side window of my truck. Not thinking about it, I was concentrating on the road. Uh, It tapped again, and then a bang. And I looked over, and there was, seemed to be a person running next to me on the road. So, kind of freaked me out. dropped her down the third gear and took off got down the road a few more miles kind of woke up by now and as I went through the small town of Bylas got past there started getting sleepy again so I began slowing down and again there was a tapping on my window and then a bang looked over and it was the same figure running next to me. It was a tall, pale man with red stripes painted on his body. He was keeping pace with me, like I said, at about 40, 45 miles an hour. So I, again, switched gears and took off. With that being said, I was driving through the San Carlos Indian Reservation, which is an Apache reservation, to reference Caitlin's story in the episode. And I got home, kind of freaked out, now wide awake. It's right around 2, 2.30 now in the morning. And I talked to my dad, didn't really say anything to him about the situation, just that I got in late. Fast forward to 1993, I'm stationed in 29 Palms, California with the Marines and talking with my roommate on the same story and he goes absolutely ghost white and I said what's wrong Johnny he had a roommate earlier lived in Lordsburg New Mexico that drove the same route that I drove when he went home on leave and had the exact same experience only two years previous to that 
so that would be 1991. So just like give a little bit of light on the Caitlin's experience and hope you like the story. I will call him back in more again. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much, Alan. Now, each time I hear a story, I instantly begin thinking of logical explanations. After all, Occam's razor suggests that the most logical explanation is most often the correct one. So in this case, I thought that perhaps Alan simply dozed off, just long enough to dream of the strange man running alongside his car. But the second witness pretty much ruled that out. So that left me wondering, what the heck did he see? I'd be interested to know if anyone else from that area has experienced anything similar. Is there some maniac out there that paints stripes on himself and messes with cars? If so, I'd implore him to please join my favorite football team. Because any man that can run 40 miles an hour will surely be the best wide receiver in the history of the game. Thank you again, Alan. I really enjoyed this call. And that does it for this episode. I'd like to thank Corey Trim for his amazing artwork. Also, I'd like to welcome and introduce Addie Lloyd as the new moderator for the Monsters Among Us fan page. So if you see her on there, show her some love. I'd also like to thank Lori Kay for her generous donation. Thank you, Lori. This show was written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. And music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle, but it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open, but the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.